0: We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them.
1: I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just
0: going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Yesterday was Earth Day, and, and if you didn't see, we we had a beer release, a non-alcoholic peanut butter beer in collaboration with Justin's Peanut Butter, Called Nature Nut. It's actually still available at athleticbrewing.com. I definitely encourage you to go get some. And all the proceeds from that beer are going to our Two for the Trail initiatives. If you don't know Athletic Brewing, two percent of all our sales go to trail initiatives that help maintain, uh, construct, build new trails, infrastructure on trails, and trail access. And the brew that was released yesterday, Nature Nut, is is in celebration of Earth Day and celebration of that program, Two for the Trails. Even though yesterday was Earth Day, our commitment to the planet as, as athletes, as individuals shouldn't stop. You know, every day should honestly be Earth Day. Earth Day is just the celebration of our cumulative effort throughout the year to say, hey, we're, we're, we're going to continue, we're going to continue to do this. And so today we're talking to Zoe Rome. She's the editor of Trail Running Magazine and has written for tons of publications about this subject of, you know, do my small actions matter? What can I do as an outdoor athlete? to advocate for the planet, what are some steps I can take uh, for, for my personal life, but what what also can I do a, a, at a government level? What can I do with my company? What are the kind of the, the circles of influence that I have? What can I do? And what I love about Zoe's approach, it, it's not about cutting things entirely out of your life. You know, j- just for instance, I was taking a shower a little while ago, and I was like, you know, the water's just coming out so, so fast. Like, it's just so much water. And I took a small step of just turning the faucet down to, to literally where it was a third of the water before. And I was like, Oh, that works. And then that saves 60% of the water I was using. I'm going to get just as clean. I'm going to obviously get just as wet. Why not do this in other aspects of life? And so if everyone did that, heck, 60% of the problem would be gone, but I'm not eliminating showers out of my life. That's the important thing. So Zoe has a very cool approach, very cool story. And, uh, believe you're going to learn something and again if you'd like to check out nature nut it's not going to last long so go to our website athleticbrewing.com get a couple six packs and and help give back zoe welcome to the show
1: hi mason so glad to be here
0: can you tell us you know a little bit about where you're coming from today Where where is home for you let's start with that
1: yeah, so I'm Zoe Rome. I'm the associate editor at Trail Runner Magazine and host and producer of the DNF podcast. Um, I'm currently living in uh, in Carbondale, Colorado, which is on the western slope of Colorado, just outside of Aspen. Carbondale is a pretty great spot for, um, I think I would call it the work hard play hard crowd (laughs) you know you can get a backcountry ski or an ice climb or a trail run in before work which is pretty great um but you know then there's like really great places to work too it has a really great work-life balance um the joke is that we call it affordable aspen (laughs) it has access to a lot of the same great mountains but not quite the same like ralph lauren feel as um up valley in aspen
0: i always felt out of place in aspen walking by the gucci store looking like a, oh, a complete dirt bag.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I always definitely felt like when I lived there, I felt like the dirtiest person in town for sure. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. So, so wh- where did you grow up? I, I read in a bunch of places that you're like a a Southerner storyteller. You kind of bring that vibe. So, so where, where did you grow up and what, what kind of things yeah. did you grow up doing?
1: So I'm originally from northern rural Arkansas, just outside of Fayetteville. Um, I grew up on a small apple orchard. So I always grew up out, I mean, I was not an outdoorsy kid, right? Like I hated sports was just not about it. I was really into, um, books and playing outside, like climbing in apple trees, hiking with my family. Um, I fished a lot. I camped a lot, grew up camping, um, and grew up with just a really strong connection to the outdoors, but not really with sports. So I always grew up as a more, um i don't know more just like a an a passive <laughs> enjoyer of the outdoors than a outdoor enthusiast necessarily so,
0: so what so what got you into it what got you to to where you are today with being not only passionate but but really representing the outdoors
1: yeah so um in college i actually Started studying <laughs> um, ecological literature, or we called it e- eco poetics. So the study of how you can use literature to literature and writing to connect people with landscapes, ecologies, eco communities, things like that. And I just became fascinated with this idea of using my favorite thing on earth, writing, to connect people with my other favorite thing, which was just being outside. Um, At the same time, I was working as a backpacking guide, so I would spend my summers outside doing these really long hikes, really helping um, forge intimate connections with, um, like taking people maybe who didn't have a lot of outdoor experience and just really submerging them in the outdoors and helping them form an intimate bond with, um, a specific landscape. And I wanted to do that same thing through writing. So it was from this tension of like, I would, you know, get to embrace my full outdoorsy self during the summers. And then during the school year, I was like living this double life as like a a wonky literature nerd. And I really wanted to fuse those two things um, into a career that felt authentic to me and was in line with my values as someone who loves connecting with people, connecting with landscapes, connecting with works of literature. And that inspired me to pursue a career in environmental journalism at the University of Colorado Boulder. So I went and got a master's degree in environmental journalism. And from there, just became really passionate about writing about the intersection of the outdoor industry and the environment.
0: At that intersection, what have you noticed happening? What is What has been going on since you really started your career, career and what's happening now? What kind of trends are happening and, and what have you been writing about?
1: Yeah, I think the thing I'm most interested in exploring is essentially how, like, we can speak to and message to athletes and outdoor enthusiasts about how their connection with the outdoors enables and empowers them to be activists, not, you know, necessarily always just in the like take to the streets context, but, you know, to to play outside is to love the outdoors and to love the outdoors is to take action on account of those, you know, landscapes, ecologies, ecosystems, um, to take action on behalf of your outdoor community, both the human and the non-human aspects of that. And so I'm really interested in learning how to better leverage people's passion for their sport, whether it's, you know, skiing, climbing, trail running, whatever it is, learning how to take what they love, what connects them to the outdoors, and use that and motivate and empower them to um, pursue change for the better. Um, and I think a lot of times that just, you know, comes down to educating and empowering people. I trust people to make good decisions um, for themselves and their communities. And I think everyone just needs a little more information to make sure that they're doing that in a way that's both effective and empathetic. So, you know, it's informing people about how their sport, how their, um, you know, recreation of choice affects, uh, you know, different different landscapes, how it affects different, you know, maybe it's how it affects rural communities, maybe how environmental justice comes into play, how um, economics come into play, and just letting people understand that all of these things are connected and interrelated. And the more they know, the better decisions we can all make to create a more uh, just and sustainable world going forward.
0: So so all of us as athletes, as outdoor athletes specifically, we, we use this planet. It's our medium of, of connecting. Uh, it, it's, it's where these these life-transforming events and, and experiences happen. Was there a experience for you or something that happened, a story you could share where it was clear that the thing you love to do outdoors was, was having an effect on the outdoors, having an effect on the environment, and you needed to make sure that it didn't it didn't contribute to to destroying that outdoors but actually helped it
1: um i mean you know in in terms of learning to recognize my impact when i i worked for a while at an npr member station in aspen at aspen public radio and i participated in a study that examined the effects of hikers and trail runners on elk populations. And I had always kind of bought into this myth that, like, oh, hiking, it's not mountain biking. It's not horse. Like, I'm not on a dirt bike. I'm not on an ATV. I tread lightly. Like, you know, just because it's me on my own two feet, I don't have an impact. But in fact, once I dug into the data with these Colorado Parks and Wildlife researchers, Um, Any kind of human disturbances, like if it's just me walking with my dog, if it's just me, you know, on the trail in elk terrain during sensitive times of year, that affects elk at a metabolic level, like it causes them stress. And so either, you know, it'll upset the very young Elk, like to the point where they will be so stressed they won't be able to eat and then they'll die, or it'll stress the mothers to the point where they won't be able to produce milk for their young. So it just really made concrete for me the idea that even though trail running in a lot of ways is a fairly light impact activity, it's not no impact. And the more visible we can make those small impacts, the more, you know, people will just be able to make these more informed and empathetic decisions. And so I'm really interested in talking about the ways in which our industry isn't perfect and the ways in which we could tread more lightly and just being honest and authentic about, you know, the impacts of our sport. Because again, like it's not, you know, It's not riding around in the desert on an ATV, but there is an impact. Um, You know, there's an impact of flying to races. There's an impact of eating a certain way. Like just to be alive is to have an impact and that's okay. We just need to make better decisions um, in some arenas and giving people the information to do that in their own lives is what I'm really passionate about.
0: I'd love to hear some of those things that we can practically do as outdoor adventurers and athletes, um, because, you know, for for our own health, we've got to get out there and do these things, but we don't want to, we don't want to love the outdoors to death.
1: Exactly. And I think the good news is, is that I and no one out there is saying that you need to stop trail running. Um, I am a full believer that engaging wholeheartedly in the sport you love will make you a better um, steward and advocate for our planet. And I think that that's a time Money and energy really well spent. So I'm all for people getting out there and trail running, um, you know on trails, being smart, not in sensitive elk t- habitat as much as possible um, and and diving into that article. I, you know, that article really came from a place of vulnerability and concern over how I can really do my best to live in accordance with my core climate values and out of a concern for making sure that the time and energy and money that I spend on these things is time, energy and money well spent, not having an infinite amount of any of those resources. So I really lump the two types of action to two distinctive categories being individual action and collective action. So diving into the side of individual action, those are going to be things like, um, you know, just things that you do yourself as an individual. And the four most effective ones borne out, like this is not my opinion or anything, this is borne out in the research, is to um, have, you know, to educate and empower women to have fewer children all around the world, the more uh, educational and economic opportunities that you give to women, uh, that lowers birth rates and that causes less. I mean, that's an environmental benefit. Another one is to drive less. Another one is to fly less. Another one is to um, eat a plant-based diet. And so I wanted to just kind of talk about those things that on the individual level are borne out in the data to be the most effective because there's a lot of conflicting information out there, particularly for people who are making a good faith attempt to do their best and be good stewards of the environment. But you know, you always hear these things tossed around, like take shorter showers, you know, use a reusable straw, use a coffee cup, like don't use almond milk, use oat milk. And my philosophy, and this is borne out in a lot of the research I've done is really don't stress about those things. Do your best on the things that you can control and the things that are shown to be effective. And then don't beat yourself up about, you know, occasionally, you know, reaching for the almond milk at Starbucks or whatever or every so often using a plastic cup like obviously use reusable things where you can but you know in the grand scheme of things like when you look at where the majority of emissions and waste come from it's overwhelmingly from industrial processes and it's not from like me and my straw habit <laughs> um you know and this is more this is less born out in the research and more born out of my own um just experience around these things but You tend to see uh, bad actors shift the blame from themselves onto individuals um, around things like taking shorter showers and buying reusable straws or whatever. So, you know, this is like when you see oil and gas companies like BP tweeting out a tool for you to assess your own carbon footprint, which is a patently ridiculous thing to do because – you know, me, Zoe's carbon footprint is always going to be so, 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 so small compared to BP's. Like I could stop existing and emitting carbon tomorrow. You know, that just wouldn't really make a whole lot of difference. However, if BP took even a few small steps to limit their carbon emissions, that would like actually change, you know, the future of our climate. So diving into the research, the most effective and beneficial things you can do are hold these larger entities accountable um, and engage in what I, in what, is called collective action, which is when you take action against larger systems, larger entities, um, as a collective to hold people to account and build more equitable systems. So these are actions like voting. Um, You know, I can take as many short showers as I want. But if I don't make sure the people who are producing my food are being good stewards of water usage as well, it really doesn't matter. So, you know, stressing a little bit less about habits in my own life, while obviously, yes, making a good faith attempt to, you know, do my best. um, But trying to channel more energy and resources into making sure that lawmakers and policy and collective action embodies my climate values, which is a hard thing to talk about because as Americans, we really love this idea that as individuals, we are omnipotent and can affect great change, which is true to an extent, but in order for us to really, really fight this big problem that we're up against, we are going to have to come together and dismantle this narrative that we can all just do small things within our own life. And we need to hold politicians and companies to account for the damage that they're doing to our climate and countries. Like We need to hold everyone um, to account.
0: But I do like about that. It's kind of the same principle as when you're saving those little shampoo bottles in a hotel room to save money, and, and you know, yeah, 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 you'll save. You know, what is a shampoo bottle? A couple bucks. You'll you'll save you know ten dollars over the course of your life doing that. Maybe maybe a maybe hundred on the very best end. But you know, you, you you can rework some things in your taxes just to just to be more efficient and save thousands instantly. You know what I mean? It's kind of like what are these biggest buckets for your action? And, and and it seems like those big four that you talked about have been. The most immediate things, and one of the things that I think a lot of people find, you know, coming to terms with is, is air travel. That's a, that can be a tough pill to swallow. But it also seems like you're not necessarily telling people you can no longer do these things. But even cutting back, you know, by twenty percent is a huge deal. By fifty percent is an enormous deal. So instead of having three kids, have two or one. You still get that. You still get to experience that without cutting it entirely out of your life.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point. I think sometimes in our culture, we have this idea that if you can't be perfect, why try? Um, Mm. You know, this is something I struggle with in my own life as someone who wants to pursue a career in athletics, which inevitably entails flying to events. So, um, I'm actually working with a race organization right now to start implementing, like, as you sign up for trail races, you get to opt into a carbon offset. Um, there are some race organizations that are starting to do this and I'm starting to, I'm, I'm trying to help more and more implement this. I'm trying to implement this at trail runner magazine as well, because I want our consumers to know that they're buying a product that, uh, you know, That says that does what it says it's going to do and like means what it says in terms of um, climate values. But individuals can offset the carbon of their travel as well. I think that's just one, you know, it's not a panacea. It's just one small step in the right direction. But, you know, I think a lot of really imperfect small actions Um, will kind of help cancel out that fear of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not Greta Thunberg. I can't just sail everywhere I want to go. I would never see my family again. And I think that that can help kind of alleviate some of the stress that for me comes up when I (laughs) work through some of those climate solutions. Um, So carbon offsets are a really great way to do that. And then again, just cut yourself slack. You're just one individual um, making decisions. And like, what you do is not on it, in and of itself going to change the world. But the more you can positively influence people around you to just start making more mindful and informed decisions, that's huge. Like definitely don't fly indiscriminately. Don't just like drive around for no reason. Be very mindful about your consumptive habits um, and don't make them just be habits, right? Like if you're, you know, if you always fly somewhere, examine why you always fly there. Um, you know, start asking yourself questions about how, how, where, and why you can cut back, where you can more fully embody your climate values, and where the areas in your life are, where how you're living doesn't quite match up with what you, like, really say you believe and then find solutions that can help bridge that gap and encourage others to do the same, um, in a way that is both, you know, that's accessible, but also hold people accountable to that. Like, I think if we just all let each other off the hook and say like, it's hard, it's too hard. Don't try. You know, that's not a good place either. I just think that aiming for perfection is a trap and we should all acknowledge that in the system that we currently live in. Um, You can't be perfect and trying to be perfect will drive you crazy and make you very ineffective at taking all the really small necessary steps that we need to take.
0: Great point. Absolutely great point. And it is a a perfect or nothing mindset with a lot of this. So you shared a handful of things, those big four with, with individual action. What would you say the biggest buckets are? I know you mentioned them, but could you summarize it clearly of collective action, what you can do as a person? Um, to encourage that collective action or to hold these companies, hold them accountable?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing you can do is vote. And this means in every single election that you can vote in, like, especially the small local elections that determine who's like on your um, on your the planning and zoning commission for your city council that is super super important um, read your local newspaper and inform yourself about the candidates because those are going to be the people that are going to be setting land use and zoning policy for your local area um, study up on who you know your county commissioners are because those people can dictate how energy moves around in your community and that's hugely important as well um, get really familiar with who's running running. running for your state Senate and House of Representatives, Um, know who your politicians are and elect politicians who embody your climate values and who are going to be advocates for our one and only earth. Um, And I think that that's that's a really that's, you know, just one of the clearest, easiest examples of collective action. Um, Another one is making sure that you continually engage with those representatives as well and hold them accountable. Um, This could be writing them, calling them, tweeting at them, staying in contact with them and letting them know that you're watching them and making sure that they vote and um, legislate according to what our planet and what our communities need. You know, and I know that that's like not as sexy, you know, it's way easier to post like a cute photo of your vegan donut or whatever on Instagram. but um, you know just staying in touch with your senator is a much much more effective way of truly truly enacting change. And if there aren't politicians in your area that fully embody your climate values, then you should you should run for office. Um, and there's lots of organizations that can help with that and inspire people, particularly on the local level. Um, But, you know, just become politically active, become politically engaged. And I don't mean, you know, be the most annoying person at every cocktail party. I mean, find what animates you about the issues that are important in your area and inform yourself and others about them in a way that's empathetic and accessible. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of cynicism around politics and the political process. But it's also, for me, an amazing source of hope, optimism and engagement um, when 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 engaged with correctly and with the right mindset and, and an informed and coming from an informed place as well. Um, other ones are, if you work for a company, you can push your employer to do better in terms of potentially reaching carbon neutrality. I myself am working within my organization to try to offset the carbon cost of all of our magazine subscriptions because I want to work for a company that doesn't make me feel like I have to like sever my brain and my heart. Um, and I think that that is something we can all do is just write to our bosses, our employers, find out who else at our places of work is tapped into the issues and wants to engage. Um, right. You know, just let it be known what your values and priorities are and find out where your like, what your role is in your organization and how you can kind of help move that conversation forward at your place of work. You know, maybe it's something small like getting <laughs> compost, but it could also be a big thing like divesting corporate money from fossil fuel industries. I think that's another individual action with, Um, a good bit of uh, efficacy behind it is making sure that the money in your bank account isn't being used against your own best interest as a citizen of the world. Um, And I know that, you know, all those things are scary, and they involve being vulnerable and putting yourself out there and opening yourself up to, um, you know, potential rejection or critique and pushback from employers or friends or the political process. But that's absolutely what this world needs. It's just a few more people willing to really, really go for bat for the issues in a way that's more than just performative and is deeply empathetic and informed around the issues.
0: What, what, what encouragement could you share of, of folks that, that are getting something done, whether you've seen it in with with companies or so, some legislation recently. What what is giving you hope?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I was just speaking about divestment. That's been a tool in the past that has been critiqued by some as not being very effective. But when you look at what happened around the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in um, January, so they essentially the Alaska or the government was auctioning off leases in the Arctic national wildlife refuge and no major bank or drilling company put bids on them. Like all these dinky little state run companies did. No one major went and put a bid to like get mining leases on this land because grassroots effort primary grassroots efforts primarily led by indigenous peoples made it so publicly toxic <laughs> to like come out in favor of mining and or of, resource extracting on this land, that no major bank would support an effort, no major drilling company wanted to be associated with it. And therefore, it was a total failure on the part of the um, of the state company auctioning off the land. And so that really shows how effective we can be, um, you know, both as like grassroots actors, but also as people letting financial institutions know that we don't want money going to certain projects like that is a huge win um, on the on the part of, again, grassroots efforts largely led by indigenous peoples and just the di- di- the divestment movement in general.
0: Wow, that is that is really in- encouraging. That is really it almost seemed like a, a marketing ploy. Like, you know, I- if you do this, you will be seen as the villain. Clearly. Exactly. So don't like, that's it.
1: what consumers just let it be known. Like, you know, if if XYZ Bank supports a mining company or like puts up money for this, or if like BP puts a bid on this, like you have a social media firestorm coming your way that is going to be a huge headache. It is not worth it. And that's well, a hugely effective tool.
0: The power of social media goes beyond pictures of vegan donuts.
1: <laughs> exactly. Believe it or it not, it's <laughs> Yeah, and you guys have an amazing, just legendary trail stewardship program, which just, I mean, it's like, Two percent of your profits goes towards trail stewardship. Is that correct?
0: Yep two two percent towards trail stewardships and one percent towards uh, Jedi initiatives.
1: Yeah, and that's amazing because it's just like you know three percent every day of the year, not just on Earth Day, not just when people are paying attention, but three percent all the time goes towards these causes that you really care about. And I think that that's hugely amazing and impactful. And I would love to see a lot more companies take um, a page out of y'all's book and. You know, make a budget line for these things because you can say that you like the that you believe in, you know, climate action and that these things matter to you all you want. But if it's not a line of your budget, then I'm uh, not buying into that.
0: Absolutely. But it, it <laughs> was from day one. It was from seeing that. And, and is it tough to bake that into the business plan? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's hard to get, you know, people to back it saying, what, you're going to have that from day one, three percent. That's that's kind of a lot for a startup, but it's. Um, hoping just like you said, be an example, be an example for your community. Uh, there's by no means even close to perfect, but it's, it's just when you, when you see folks trying, you want to encourage that attitude, um, no matter what, you know, healthy direction it's going. So that that's, uh, that's good to hear. Um, you know i know we got to jump into rapid fire here soon you're just sharing some pretty incredible stuff and some powerful steps to take anything else you'd like to share before we move into that
1: yeah i would just encourage people um to know that you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be 100 informed on what's going on um we don't need more experts and heroes we just need everyone to do what they can um in their sphere of influence um and just take as many steps as they can very imperfectly forwards. You don't need to, you know, know and understand absolutely everything about the albedo effect. or be able to name every single person in the house of representatives in order to be a really excellent ambassador on these issues. You just need to care even a little bit. And that's, that's really just more of what this, um, this cause needs, not, you know, more people necessarily, you know, screaming on social media or, you know, writing 900 word think pieces. It just needs a few more people who are willing to um, put themselves out there, try new things and just, you know, move a little bit more in that direction of better rather than striving for being perfect, falling short and then disengaging.
0: I'm sure you see that repetition time and time again, you know, wanting to do better, but falling short and then quitting or or not trying again.
1: Oh, totally. Or, you know, inevitably, whenever I write about these issues, someone always responds, like, how dare you? You know, you own a car, like, you trail run, you're not perfect. And my response is, you're right. I, I'm very far from perfect. I have a lot of growing to do around these issues. Um, even as someone that cares a lot and is fairly well informed, there are things that I that I have an imperfect understanding of and that I fail on repeatedly all the time. But I am trying my best and I'm trying to hold the people with more power than myself to account. And that I think that is a much more productive approach than pointing uh, digital fingers at people who um, are are making a good faith effort to um, to do their best. And I think that, you know, it's it's impossible to be perfect in the system that we currently live in. It is driven by and entirely by fossil fuels and, you know, just trying to live outside of that, like if I just totally, you know, tuned in, dropped out kind of thing, I wouldn't be able to in impart the change that I want to impart than if I just engaged imperfectly in a somewhat broken system, pushing for carbon neutrality at my place of work, pushing for carbon neutrality at trail races. If I just said, screw it, I'm never flying again. I'm going to go meditate on a mountaintop and then sail home to see my family once every six years. I wouldn't be able to have meaningful, heartfelt conversations about why I care about these issues. I wouldn't be able to be an ambassador of these issues when I go to trail races, I would be able to speak to race directors about why they should implement carbon offsets. And I think, you know, making those compromises when they come from a good place and are backed up by action um, is a good step in the right direction. You know, if the if the task is just not doable from the moment you start, then like it's hard to blame people for not starting.
0: And the outdoor adventure community is great for this because, the, the, you know, the, the, we're notoriously folks that, that look at something and say, yeah, I can do that, and exactly. other folks can look at it and say, "There's no way you can, you know, run up that mountain or across that canyon or, or do this thing," but you go do it. You know, you're doing the impossible in a lot of ways anyway. So you can do the impossible when it comes to caring for the planet. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to transition into rapid fire questions, and awesome, you don't need to answer these with with one word or two word answers. It, you know, it can be a couple sentences, mm-hmm. but uh, with the first question, I'd love to know. What do you see out there in the world of of caring for the planet of, you know, making Earth Day every day? What is the most encouraging aspect to you?
1: I think it's just like having that opportunity to experience true authentic connection with, you know, my like human community and my um, like bio regional community as well. Like I just feel so at home when I'm outside here in carbondale and when i'm with people that i love and care about and when they're healthy i'm healthy and the the you know the ecosystem is healthy as well and i know that sounds very hippy dippy like i promise i don't own like any crystals and like I'm, I'm don't you know i'm not a patchouli kind of person but i i really believe that like our ability to thrive and be happy is profoundly connected to our planet's ability to do the same
0: hmm well said, what would you say you're most curious about right now outside of of trail running
1: yeah i'm you know I'm a writer, and so I know this is probably a pretty boring answer. I'm trying to just kind of hone my writing craft a bit more, which uh just involves a lot of writing, which will likely never see the right of day, but you know, just kind of trying to push myself a bit creatively, and I'm curious about um maybe what new like formats and styles of like what genre is not quite the right word, but what, you know, how I can best represent and play with my, my voice, um, outside of just journalism.
0: Do you have a specific achievement that you're most proud of? It can, it can be in your career or not. It can be in your athletic career, writing career, whatever. Is there an achievement that really sticks out to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of being the associate editor at Trail Runner. I really love this job and I just feel so fortunate to get to be in dialogue with the trail running community around the issues that matter to all of us.
0: Definitely worth being proud over for sure. Um, now is there, is there a hobby that you have that maybe you don't talk about? Maybe a hidden talent, you know, I know you write, I know you run, um, is there anything else I we we know it's not crystals, we know that for sure. <laughs> not
1: um, I read every day. <laughs> um, I love I really, really love reading. I love fiction, I love short stories. I'm currently reading Brant Washington's uh, most recent collection and it's so, so amazing. Um, I would, I would highly recommend it. And I just love, I love reading. I love fiction, you know, even as a, as a, as a writer of exclusively nonfiction at this point, um, I just love how far people can take that craft. And I especially feel like during the pandemic, um, creative fiction has been an amazing way to, uh, stretch my boundaries a bit and like intellectually explore ideas that otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to.
0: Mm, that's awesome. I don't want to put you right on the spot, but, uh, you know, you're a fan of athletic, you know, a lot about our beers. Um, is, is there a beer that, that you really enjoy that's your favorite that athletic brewing makes?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I like free wave. I'm a big IPA fan and having a bit of a hazy, like it's so hard to find. You know, cause hazy, I mean, for me in my pre-athletic days, it meant like something really heavy that was just going to make me feel like crap the next day and being able to have just like a very yeah traditional hazy IPA without the headache is so amazing, but I'm also a fan of the run wild, just an IPA fan. I'm, I'm more, I'm so excited that like, cause it used to be like, Oh, we got to wait for like an email to get the free wave. And I'm so excited that it just gets mailed to me now. It's the little things during the pandemic. <laughs>
0: It is the little things that help that help make it doable. Our, our motto here at Athletic Brewing is brew without compromise. And this show is all about hearing stories about living without compromise. What does it mean to live without compromise to you?
1: That's an amazing question. To me, it means to have identified and recognized what my core values are and make sure that I am embodying them to the extent that I'm able in every aspect of life, whether that's running, training, reading, writing, working, every conversation I have with a stranger at the supermarket, just making sure that um, everything I do is working towards being an authentic embodiment of the things I love, believe and care about.
0: Thank you, Zoe, for joining us. If you'd like to read more about Zoe, we have an associated blog post going with this episode written by Ashley Winchester. That's going up today as well. And again, if you'd like to check out Nature Nut, please go to athleticbrewing.com. It's a, it's a non-alcoholic peanut butter beer in association with Justin's, all giving back to Trails.